Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. As always, lots of stuff to get into in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. But a reminder that the show, of course, belongs to you. So anything that's on your mind, please let me know. I'll be happy to bring any of your issues or concerns or anything that's on your mind that you want to bring up in regards to, like I said, baseball, sports, and unified America. And as I always say, the show belongs to my listeners. And every now and then I'll throw something out there and it'll get a different type of reaction than anticipated. And we've used the means of whether it's Facebook Live, Periscope, um, we've also used Instagram with the one minute clips and I'm going to start out with a, a little bit of a reaction to it because I believe that the context of the one minute clip was not really warranted and did not send the right message or convey the right message. And I've, you know, always appreciate everybody that is part of the show and those that do give feedback, whether it's positive or negative, but we were talking last week about a, a show that the host decided to say in discussing Antonio Brown and his actions and a reason that, you know, he orchestrated what he did. First getting himself out of Pittsburgh, then getting himself out of the Oakland Raiders and their team, basically in a spot where he didn't want to play. And decided to say it's the most unprofessional act in the history of sports. So in other words, what Antonio Brown did, which... I've spent a lot of time talking about how he really did nothing that was different to what a lot of NBA players do. A lot of NBA players decide that they want to be somewhere else. They don't necessarily want to be in the place that they want to go. Maybe they want to play for a team that's a winner. Maybe they want to go play in Los Angeles. And you've seen it many times where they kind of go over the head of the coach, over the head of the general manager, get themselves out. And almost, there's almost tampering involved with the other organization to bring him in. We can talk about how it relates to Antonio Brown, but I don't think that's it's that important. The bottom line is, you know, as bad as he was perceived for what he did by essentially not wanting to go to Oakland after he was traded there, my point was that it was not as much of a big deal as it was made out to be. And the problem, obviously is that some people look at it differently and some people decide to say that, hey, Antonio Brown, the most unprofessional athlete in the history of sports. And I decided to bring up Tanya Harding. And Tanya Harding, obviously a vicious, vicious, bad person, a heinous person, something, a person that decided to do something that was just uncalled for. Not just unprofessional, but unhumane and heinous. And to to make the point that one is nowhere near in the same league as the other should pretty much put to rest any of the thoughts that what Antonio Brown did was the most unprofessional act in the history of pro sports. Think of the 1919 Black Sox and the, the White Sox players doing, you know, what they did conspiring with the gamblers to throw the World Series. That's a little worse than what Antonio Brown did. You know, you got the, the referee, Tim Donaghy, you know, taking money to influence games, you know, players that have not played a game on the level. Even Pete Rose betting on baseball when he was a manager of the Cincinnati Reds are all things that you would classify as being worse than what Antonio Brown did. 
And that's the one part of it, hopefully it clears up. Because the bottom line is what Antonio Brown did was no different from any other player that was in a city or playing for a team that he was not interested in being part of. And he orchestrated his way out just like any top NBA player would, just like Anthony Davis did from New Orleans going to the Los Angeles Lakers. And you think of some of the worst acts from an athletic standpoint and a role model as an athlete, what Antonio Brown did isn't anywhere near up there. And the unfortunate thing about it, to piggyback off the point and finish this up, and this will probably be the last that I bring up about anything related to Antonio Brown as he's out there in New England helping them to another Super Bowl. You know, going out there, catching a couple passes, doing his job, and he's just going to be another cog in a wheel of the Patriots as they go out there and win football games. But the other part of it, of course, and that just broke last week, around the time that I was speaking about Antonio Brown, you know, the athlete, and basically putting to rest, or trying to put to rest, the fact that he his decision and his actions were the most unprofessional in regards to the history of all sports, you got the rape allegations and you got the lawsuit, the civil suit that was brought against them by a woman. And obviously you're talking about something that is a much more serious matter. And once again, that one minute clip does not show what I had said prior to that and what I discussed before that when I was talking about Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson's decision of when he decided to rape a woman and ended up going to trial, was accused, tried, and convicted of rape, had to serve time in jail, his life, let alone his boxing career, was never the same. And the same will happen to Antonio Brown if he was convicted and sentenced for Rape. It doesn't mean that he did not rape this woman, but the fact that a civil case has been brought against him for damages and obviously money and damages makes it a little bit of a different case. It doesn't mean that rape did not happen. It does not mean that that was not the issue and the reason that this is being brought to a trial. Antonio Brown did something wrong and at the very least devious. The court of public opinion is always going to judge and assume the worst. And the same thing I could say is the same thing that anything you can say as a person that has no knowledge of the actual situation. What happened happened. What happened is known between Antonio Brown and this woman. And you have to trust in the justice system that the truth will be brought out. If what he did was as heinous and as bad as it's being reported in the civil suit, then maybe a criminal trial should be brought up and criminal charges should be pressed up against the guy. So hopefully we cleared that up. We're going to talk a lot of stuff on the show. Try to fill in a filibuster as we want to try to get out of here by maybe, I don't know, you know, 10 of 5 of Eastern time, uh, 11 o'clock. We're going to do our NFL picks a little bit later. Uh, I want to bring up a little Pete Rose thing in regards to his record-breaking hit. Uh, we're going to talk about the top 19 because I've worked on this list, and I'll get into it a little bit later. I've put on a lot of research. i spent a lot of time focusing on the different generations of Major League Baseball, and I've been fascinated with who we consider the top offensive players in baseball history. And you can't compare hitters to pitchers. It's just not fair. And when you want to incorporate defense, that should be a third category. You say, hey, the best 
defensive players ever. You throw guys like, you know, Ozzie Smith out there and rank them amongst the best. The pitchers rank them amongst the best. But the offensive players and what they contributed to the table as hitters. And I spent a lot of time researching this. I feel confident by being able to run out a list of my top 19. So we'll try to get into that a little bit later on today. But we're talking a little bit about you know, the baseball pennant races. And as we're getting in the last two weeks of the season, we got pretty much this show and next week's show. Next week's show, we'll probably be talking about just, I don't know, maybe that tertiary team in a wild card race, whether it's the American League or the National League. You're pretty much there in the American League right now. You got the Tampa Bay Rays, the Oakland Athletics, and the Cleveland Indians are kind of that third wheel. Two of those three are going to get in. And you can make a good case that the same thing is going on in the National League with the Washington Nationals and the Chicago Cubs and the Milwaukee Brewers. But now you have, whether it's the New York Mets or the Philadelphia Phillies, kind of on life support, kind of hanging on for dear life with the hopes and fascination and the dream that they're going to go out there and go on this eight, nine game winning streak and all of a sudden make it a tight race going into the last week of the baseball season. And as a baseball fan, that's what you want to see. And I'm not going to be partisan here. Anybody that watches the show or views the show knows that my rooting interest is involved with the New York Mets. That's a team that I root for, but I am as objective of a fan as possible. And I think if you're a fan of baseball, You'd really like to see these races come down to the wire over the course of the last week of the season and involve as many teams as possible. And that's how I feel about it. And it's not just go Mets. I, honestly, the Mets don't play the Phillies the rest of the season. I'm going to say something that's absolutely sacrilegious to all my fellow Mets fans. Go Phillies. I want to see the Phillies win as many games as possible and get themselves in the race where it comes down to the last three games or so. As we hit what we'll call the opening point here at a PBS, brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And I do want to announce that there will be another couple more sponsors that are going to be incorporating into the show over the next couple weeks. But if you're a Mets fan, you obviously can't be a fan of the Phillies. If you're a Phillies fan, there's no way you can be a Mets fan, but at the point where we're talking about what's best for the game of baseball. What's best for the game of baseball is to watch next week, the last seven, six games of the season, all mean something and involve as many teams as possible. I know the Arizona Diamondbacks are on life support right now. They basically need to win every game. They need the Cubs, they need the Brewers, whoever, to lose as many games as possible to even get close. I'd like to see the Mets win the next five, six games. I'd like to see the Phillies win the next five, six games. And all of a sudden, make it a nice race as we're getting into the last series of the season, the last three games, the Friday, Saturday games, and then the Sunday games, which we know are starting all at the same time. How fascinating would that be to watch four or five teams all battling for two spots in one game where the results of one game could impact whether one team has a chance or doesn't have a chance or have multiple teams finished with the same record and kind of have a little regular season version of the postseason where we're playing games number 163 and maybe even 164. I'm rooting for that. I want to see as much baseball means something as possible. And like I said, this isn't just me, my partisanship as a fan of an individual team. I want to see the Mets get there. I want to see the Phillies get there. I want to see the Diamondbacks, if they could somehow 
you know, keep themselves in a race, maybe go on a ridiculous streak and the Cubs and the Brewers lose a little bit to have as many as six teams fighting for two spots. That'd be awesome. And we're probably not going to see the same thing in the American League. You look at the American League and the Rays and the Athletics and the Indians, and the only difference between that and, you know, past seasons is that there's going to be one of those teams, one of those three teams are going to be on the outside looking in. Maybe you could get one of those teams finishing in a tie with another and have a game 163. That's what I root for as a fan, to see as much postseason baseball as possible. And let's be serious, in, in a day and age and era where it's been thrown in our face, where we're seeing way more postseason baseball than we've ever seen before, prior to 1969, you only had one postseason series, and that was called the World Series. You know, from 1969 to, what, 2003, you had just two, two division winners in each league, a league championship series and a World Series, and that's it. Now you got the division round. Now you got the wild card round. There's a lot more postseason baseball that we've ever seen in baseball history, and you know what? As a fan, here's what I want. I want as much as possible. I don't want any changes to the rules of the game. I believe that we should actually scale back the amount of postseason berths there are and keep them two division titles, expand by two teams, go to 32 teams, and have four division winners and have that be it in regards to postseason baseball. Maybe, you know, lengthen the season to a point where maybe one of those teams or the last two teams are battling for a wild card spot, whatever. But I think we have too much postseason baseball, but in the day and age and the era that we're in, why not just go out there and enjoy it? Why not have a couple 163s and maybe even a 164 where those teams are essentially playing for their playoff life? That's what I'm looking for for the week starting September 30th and then the beginning of October. We're looking at a very fascinating postseason, obviously, in the American League side. you got the Yankees and the Astros doing their thing. The Twins, who had winning the AL Central, are going to you know, probably have a lot to prove. Not a lot of people are believing very much in the Twins, but they've had a very good season. Can they knock off either Houston or the Yankees? Can they be a serious team, or is this ALCS just simply set up to be the Yankees against the Astros? Because if it is, we have another little issue. The teams that maybe are so deserving to play each other in a you know winner-take-all to get to the World Series type of scenario may be shortchanged a little bit by inferior teams that are in there. Those two wildcard teams, whether it's Tampa Bay or Oakland or Cleveland, are they on the same level as the Yankees or the Astros? Prior to 1969, remember, it was the best team in the league going to the World Series. I know you didn't have as many teams then. The playoffs, yes, they are a little watered down, but it still is exciting to watch teams and players and you know prepare for each other and go out there and compete in a winner-take-all type of scenario. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and the solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show by JohnPielli.com and JohnPielli LLC is prohibited. Any commercial other use of the program, such as by charging admission for showing, is similarly prohibited. So, one of the captions of my show, and we'll keep it very brief today, but we'll talk about something called the best team in New York in regards to the NFL. And we're going to talk about a team that doesn't get anywhere near the credit that it deserves 
because it's not part of New York City. And New York City is very passionate about its sports teams. The New York fans are fans of New York City and for the most part have chosen to stay away from everything that's not centric in regards to the city of New York. But the Buffalo Bills may have a pretty good uh, football team. You look at the fact that they beat the Giants, they beat the Jets. I understand you, we can talk about how bad the Giants are, the switch to Daniel Jones. He's going to be the quarterback going forward. They're rebuilding the Jets. No Sam Darnold. They're on their third-string quarterback. You know, you're looking at two teams in New York City that, you know, ironically play in New Jersey, but they're not probably not going anywhere. But the Buffalo Bills, a team that actually plays in New York, plays in the state of New York, not the city of New York, but in the state of New York, is not being looked at at all. In fact, you would think that they're playing Canada. You would think that they play somewhere out in the Midwest. But they don't. They play in a state of New York, and we understand that New York City teams, for some reason, it's okay to include the state of New Jersey. The New Jersey Devils as a hockey team are considered more of a New York City team than the Buffalo Sabres, which is weird because Buffalo is actually in New York. I always find that fascinating. And listen, I don't expect regional coverage to focus on the Buffalo Bills and the Buffalo Sabres, but I think from a New York standpoint, listen, all of New York came together for 9-11. All of New York comes together in the biggest time of need. It's not just the city. But I tell you, if you're not looking at the Buffalo Bills, you actually may be missing out on something special that's going on there. I don't think they have the ability to take on and beat the New England Patriots, but I do believe that this is a team that is a little bit better than it's getting credit for. And the fact that it's a little bit better than it's getting credit for means that even though as a Giants fan and a Jets fan, you may have seen the Buffalo Bills play on the course of a Sunday, we're going to look at the end of the year and say, hey, the Buffalo Bills were 2-0 and zero at MetLife Stadium. What's the Giants record going to be at MetLife Stadium? What's the Jets record going to be at MetLife Stadium? And where do the Bills rank? Are they a team that could push themselves enough to be in a wild card race? Because you know the division's going to New England. Interesting to see how it works out. This is the famous Budweiser beer. We know no brand produced by any other brewer that costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beachwood Aging produces a taste of smoothness and drinkability you'll find at no beer at any cost. So we're going to get into what we'll call the quick version of the NFL picks. And the greatest thing about the picks is that I haven't studied them at all. And I'm actually going to do them right now. And we're going to see how it ends up working out as we crank up the music and get it going. Week three of the National Football League picks. And I'm going to write down, we'll go back to the number of five. We actually did seven last week. Ended up with a... Three and four record. First week we were four and two, so overall we're sitting here at a seven and six record. We're going to pick five games right now. And I'm going to stay away from the Thursday game because I think there's a lot of drama involved with the Jacksonville Jaguars. You got the Tennessee Titans coming off of a tough loss to the Indianapolis Colts. Those teams always play each other tough, so it's going to be fun to watch. The first game I'm going to go at because I, I believe that the Oakland Raiders have improved a little bit. 
And I remember the last time the Minnesota Vikings got a big line at home, they got disappointed. And I look at the number of eight, and I believe in the system that John Gruden has and the Oakland Raiders maybe being a little bit better than we expect in a National Football League. So give me Oakland plus eight at Minnesota against the Vikings. Next game we're going to go to is a team that I just talked about. And you can talk about the Cincinnati Bengals maybe being a little bit better than what we think. Maybe they're not that bad. Maybe they could win four or five games at some point this year. But Buffalo, after playing two games at MetLife Stadium, yes, they were road games, but they were you know, within almost the confines of their own home. I know it's a little bit of a drive. What are you talking about? Six hours from MetLife Stadium to Buffalo. Give me the Buffalo Bills, minus six at home against the Cincinnati Bengals. Now look at, at a game that, you know, I'm jumping on because of the point spread. And I benefited last week because I, I was able to bet on the Browns against the Jets before the Sam Darnold news. So I, I, I picked the, the Browns when they were only a two and a half point favorite. Obviously the numbers skyrocketed after Sam Darnold get hurt and not, got hurt and I'll be honest, I had no knowledge about you know, Sam Darnold and it, having mono and his injury and not being able to play the whole thing. Bottom line is the Browns won by 20 points. They would have covered seven or eight points. So they covered three. I got a little bit of a break there, but it didn't make a difference. New England Patriots, I could see being for a little bit of a letdown. And I look at where the game has gone. It's actually a higher line than the New England Patriots had with the Miami Dolphins last week. You're talking about a 22.5 point favorite, and anytime the number gets that far, I'm going to put it in this scenario. The Dolphins lost to the Patriots last week 43-0. Nobody's surprised. I can see the Jets putting up a little bit of a fight. I don't think the Patriots are going to go out there and score 40-50 points against nothing every single week. I think the Patriots are going to win they're going to win by 10 or more. They're going to win by 15 or more. They might even win by 20 points. But 22 and a half is a nice enough line. I'm taking the Jets and the points plus 22 and a half at New England in Foxborough. So we got two more games to go here. You know, you look at Dallas. You know, there's a, a very big spread against the Miami Dolphins. But I, listen, I don't think the Miami Dolphins... You know, it's just a different thing when you're talking about a team that's tanking and a team that's not even trying. The Atlanta Falcons at Indianapolis. The the Colts should be 2-0. Have played very tough, two different games. Falcons coming off of a nice win, but give me Indy, minus two at home against Atlanta. Last game we're going to pick... I look at Pittsburgh traveling to San Francisco. And one thing that stood out last week was the performance of Mason Rudolph. I know it was in garbage time, a time that didn't really matter. It wasn't the difference in the Steelers having a chance to win the game or lose the game. There's a team in San Francisco that I just have a hard time getting behind. I think they could win seven, eight, or nine games. But I think after winning their first two, they're down for a little bit of a letdown. And I like that Pittsburgh's getting six and a half points. I know Roethlisberger's out for the season, but Mason Rudolph looked like he had a good enough ability to run that offense. 
And I think they could go out there and win the game outright, let alone not lose by six points or less. So give me Pittsburgh plus six and a half at San Francisco. The PBS picks for this week, week number three, Oakland plus eight at Minnesota, Buffalo minus six at home against Cincinnati, the Jets plus 22 and a half at New England, Indianapolis minus two against Atlanta, and Pittsburgh plus six and a half at San Francisco. Just a reminder that Castrol provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. Castrol, engineered for today's smaller cars. So, Pete Rose, on the date of September 8th, 1985, got what he would call his 4,190th hit. Now, when he got it off of a pitcher named Reggie Patterson at the Chicago Cubs in Wrigley Field, didn't seem like it was that big of a deal. It seemed like it put Rose about one hit closer from tying the great Ty Cobb. But, of course, he got number 4192 against Eric Shaw another week later at home against the San Diego Padres. And that, for years, has been known as the record-breaking hit. And at the time, it was thought to be that way. But as researchers and historians have you know, confounded and put together as many numbers as they can, they realized... That Ty Cobb was given credit for two more hits than he ended up having over the course of his career. Instead of 4,191 hits, he had 4,189. So that makes the hit on the road in Chicago at Wrigley Field the record-breaking hit. Now, if the records were kept correctly, and assuming that this was a legitimate error that was uh, you know, pretty much unpulled uh, up over by researchers, you look at the fact that Ty, uh, Ty Cobb's record being broken, Pete Rose getting a record on the road, would have made Marge Schott and the Cincinnati Reds a lot less money. So Schott and the Reds, you know, profited, you know, ridiculously off of him breaking the record at home. But it's interesting to know, and it says in the Hall of Fame, there's a little bit of a plaque that says Pete Rose's record-breaking hit really occurred on the 8th of September, 1985, against Reggie Patterson of the Chicago Cubs in Wrigley Field. And by the way, there still should be nothing that involves Pete Rose as the player in the Hall of Fame. And there shouldn't be anything that results with a player that is not in a Hall of Fame in its Hall of Fame. You should have a separate museum for baseball history, but the Hall of Fame should be stuck to just Hall of Fame players. Because if baseball is too stupid to realize that Pete Rose belongs in the Hall of Fame, it's too stupid to realize that Barry Bonds belongs in the Hall of Fame based off of the numbers and what they accomplished on the field, then nothing that they did over the course of their career should be acknowledged by the Baseball Hall of Fame. Same thing with Philip Humber's perfect game ball. I'm sorry, Philip Humber wasn't a Hall of Famer. He, he pitched a great game, one of 23 perfect games in the history of Major League Baseball. But his ball doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. Neither does anything that wasn't contributed by a Hall of Fame player. Like I said, you want to put a separate museum to honor baseball history? That's fine. But I, And I actually think that that would kind of bridge the gap between what we call the Hall of Exclusion, which for whatever reason, through politics and whatever, decides to hold out the players that accomplished the most in the history of the sport, and a museum that honors baseball history. And I think pe more people will be gravitated towards honoring baseball history 
as opposed to the hall of politics or the hall of exclusion. Last thing I want to get into today, uh, I've done a lot of research about the top 100 offensive position players in Major League Baseball. I'm going to run off a list, and I want you, if you're listening, you, you have any interest, you want to contribute in any way, throw a comment, send anything you can to try to let me know what you think. I mean, obviously, I'm going to include players that, that did the S-word. And I'm not talking about shit. I'm talking about steroids. Because the accomplishments of players are not, don't have to be an indication of how good of a person they were. Or whatever type of decision that they tried to make over the course of their life. Pete Rose had 4,250 uh, 4, hits. More hits than anybody in baseball history. If he was a bad guy, he was a bad guy. If he was a degenerate gambler, he was a degenerate gambler. But nothing that he bet on, whether it was the Reds to win or the Reds to lose, which we feel he only bet on his team to win, but when you're a manager, remember that that's going to impact how you manage the games that you don't have anything on the line. The games you're not betting on, you may not care as much as they lose than the ones that you actually have money on. But say what you want about Pete Rose, nobody in baseball history has had any more hits. So I'm going to run off a list. My top 19 is just about cemented as I'm going to gravitate towards do more research and get myself to a point where I could feel like I could run off the top 100 offensive players in the history of Major League Baseball. And yes, at some point, I'm going to have to include the great Mike Trout, the best player that we're seeing during this current generation. So you start out with Babe Ruth. You go to Ty Cobb, Ted Williams, Barry Bonds, Lou Gehrig. Now, Bonds and Garrett could be pretty close. They could be interchangeable. But obviously, I've pissed off a lot of people already. A lot of people can't stand that I would mention Barry Bonds as one of the top five offensive position players to ever play. Look at what he did in his career. I don't care how he did it. He did stuff that very few even came close to doing. So if you say Barry Bonds is not four, then maybe he's five. Maybe Garrett was better. And maybe I'll correct it right now, and I'll say it's Babe Ruth, it's... Ty Cobb, it's Ted Williams, it's Lou Gehrig, and then it's Barry Bonds. So we'll stop with Barry Bonds at number five. Number six is Stan Musial. Number seven is Henry Aaron. Number eight is Willie Mays. Number nine is Rogers Hornsby. And number 10 is the great Josh Gibson, a man who was held back. His life was essentially shortened because of the fact that there are were a million racist white people and white supremacists that couldn't grasp the concept that regardless of your skin color, all the best baseball players should be playing against each other. Josh Gibson, one of the best power hitters in the history of the sport, deserves to be in anybody's top 10. So, we go 11 to 19. 11, Hannes Wagner. 12, Jimmy Fox. 13, Frank Robinson. 14, Alex Rodriguez. 15, Mel Ott. 16, Mickey Mantle, 17, Joe DiMaggio, 18, yeah, here's another controversial one, because he plays right now and he's still active, Albert Pujols, and number 19 is another Negro Leagues player, considered probably the best Negro Leagues player all around to ever play the game, Oscar Charleston, that's my top 19, a little bit of a recap of the show today, a little bit of a, uh, probably throwing that final blanket on any Antonio Brown discussion, 
uh, comparisons, whether it's to Tanya Harding, whether it's to uh, the Black Sox scandal, whether it's to Ray Carruth, whether it's to whoever you want, there's no way you could say that Antonio Brown's actions by orchestrating his trade out of Pittsburgh to Oakland and his release from the Oakland Raiders is the most unprofessional act by an athlete in sports history. I'm sorry. There's no way you could do that. NFL picks are up. Wild car races. I want to see as many games, 163s and 164s in the beginning of October to start the playoffs. That's just me. Maybe you don't feel the same. That's fine. Uh, top 19 offensive position players of all time, Major League Baseball. I'm going to get them up on JohnPLA.com. Same with the NFL picks. Pete Rose, 41-90, broke the all-time hit record in Wrigley Field against the Chicago Cubs on September 8th, 1985. We'll be back with you next week. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.